Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, whatever you may think about religious liberty, I suspect you haven't thought about how essential it is to the global economy. So stay tuned. This will be a very interesting discussion. Our guest today, Brian Walsh, founder and president of the Civil Rights Research Center and one of the co-authors of a report on this topic, which you can look at for yourself at religiousfreedomandbusiness.org. Brian, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thanks, Alan. It's good to be here. So I'll just put the question to you uh, straight off. Why is religious liberty something that the global economy, you know, it's it's a value to the global economy? Well, the main reason is that uh, wealth internationally is becoming more and more religiously diverse. We're not only a more global economy, uh, but that economy is diversifying in ways that most people don't pay any attention to, but are very important for how we think about working with other populations and uh, keeping our markets open and making sure that our values uh, are exported, including our, our value of uh, religious freedom. So there's three statistics I'll, I'll talk about. One is that uh, the growth in religious population. Uh, we are seeing an increase in the number of people who are religiously unaffiliated internationally, but that number is going to dwarf that growth by the number of the projected growth in the population of religiously affiliated people uh, by 23 times. So we'll see about uh, between 2010 and year 2010 and 2050, see about 100 million more religiously unaffiliated. We'll see 23 times that many religiously affiliated people. So religion is not disappearing from the face of the It's not becoming something that is yesterday's news. Now, many people want to suggest that we're becoming a more and more secularized world. It's just not true, and we need to take that into account. Policymakers particularly need to take that into account. So in not only is, it, is it religious affiliation increasing, but the distribution of populations are changing. So whereas in 1970, if you divided the world's population into six parts, um, two out of those six parts, if you see a pie and took six slices, two of those slices would be population of Christians in 1970. One would be Muslim, and one would be Hindus and Buddhists combined. Now, in 2050, we'll still have two slices of that pie, which will be Christian, the same proportion. But two out of six will be Muslim, and two out of six will be either Hindus or Buddhists. So that changes not only the population, but it's also because the growth in the economy is going to be a major shift in the way that wealth is distributed uh, across the world. Um, between 2010 and 2050, we'll see a doubling of the world economy, the GDP, across the globe. And Christians will have an increase in their uh, wealth as well. But Muslims will have a four and a half times increase in their wealth, and Hindus six times. So this, of course, correlates with political influence and with uh, you know, the way that people can migrate. So it's something that needs to be taken into consideration throughout the globe as policymakers are thinking about policy and how we do economics, how we do our foreign policy. So that's the foundation. And we need to talk about how religious freedom plays into that. So I get that um, 
there's going to be more uh, economic growth in parts of the world that have lagged behind. Obviously, when you say Buddhist and, and Hindu, we're talking about a third of the world's population or more in India and China, and those are certainly very strong growth parts of the global economy and uh, the growth of the Muslim world as well. Why is religious freedom thought to be a factor? I, I mean, I gather from the sense of the report that in the absence of religious freedom, it will tend to have a drag or a stifling effect on global economic growth. That's correct. In fact, uh, my co-author on this piece, Brian Grimm, who actually spearheaded the report, uh, Brian has shown that uh, using China as a case study, how it is that back when there was greater repression of all religious populations, in fact, every disfavored identity and under the Chinese communist regime uh, that was disfavored ended up having less participation in the workforce. And your greatest potential, your greatest resource of any nation is not a mineral ground. Many nations have great, uh, great uh, deposits of minerals or other uh, natural resources. It's their people and putting their people to work. One of the reasons that the United States has had such a powerful economy is because it had so much freedom for everybody of every religion to be engaged in the economy. And China has seen that, of course. So uh, there's been a much greater participation in China uh, by the religiously diverse populations, and China is one of the most religiously diverse nations on Earth. Uh, and that has driven its economic growth. So it's important, one of the ways that you make sure that people are engaged in the economy is you protect their fundamental human rights, their ability to express who they are and what their identity is in a way that does not lead to repression or to divisions between them and other faith groups. So you reduce social hostility by protecting religious freedom. Uh, the data from Pew Research and others has shown that the uh, lower you have government restrictions, less government restrictions you have on religion, uh, the greater um, likelihood that you won't have social hostility, including violence and uh, harassment and all the way to terrorism. So we in the United States figured out a long time ago that the best way to ensure that we don't have the religious wars, which we saw in the 16th and 17th century in the Western world, was to protect everybody's religious freedom, uh, regardless of whether we agree with them or their ideas are popular or just unpopular. It doesn't really matter if we protect their religious freedom. That reduces social tensions and reduces the hostility and allows them to fully participate in the economy as an economic driver, essential economic driver. Can you give me another example of a country whose economy has been lagging uh, because it's not utilizing its human potential uh, because of restrictions on religion. Well, I mean, the, the best example, of course, is North Korea. They're not only restricting religion, but religion is central uh, focus, of course, of repression in North Korea. And that is one of the most repressed uh, economic nations in the world. Look at the, the contrast between North Korea and South Korea in terms of its GDP. There is no comparison, frankly. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it is a remarkable contrast. Um, you've probably seen the photos of the uh, lights at night from satellites over North Korea and South Korea, uh, one next to the other. And South Korea is a glow, and North Korea looks like it, it's a wasteland because they don't even have the economic freedom and the religious freedom to fully engage their people and produce you know, the power that you need to, to run life at night. So it's a really repressed economy. That's a drastic example, but it's certainly true across the world. 
So I hear you saying that repression, um, and especially repression on the basis of religion, is really bad for the economy. It is, and it should be no surprise. In fact, uh, a few research studies that I talked about and, and others have shown that the correlation between religious freedom and other freedoms is uh, very strong. So if you have strong protections for religious freedom in your nation, you're far more likely to have uh, freedom of speech, far more likely to have uh, women's rights, you're far more likely to have freedom of the press, and economic freedom. And it, by, uh, you know, the converse is true as well. If you are restricting religious freedom, whether it's in, in a secular mindset or in picking one religion over another, uh, you are also far more likely to have repression in the areas of speech and women's rights and other basic freedoms. So this research is very strong and something that people need to be aware of, especially when today more and more people are calling into question uh, what is the utility of religious freedom and should we even protect it? Of course, we should protect it even if it didn't have any utility because it's a fundamental right, um, as Pope Francis told us when he was visiting in the United States in September. Uh, this is a human right, something that it's unfortunate in many ways that it's called religious freedom because it really doesn't have anything to do with religion per se. It has to do with the fact that people tend to be religious, not all of them, but the numbers are very high, so over 80% worldwide. And when you have numbers like that, you need to make that, that sort of core human value, you need to make sure that you're protecting that core human rights. Let's turn our attention for the moment to the Islamic world. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, the economic growth there is expected to be quite substantial in the coming decades. But I think there's some prime examples of nations there that have been very restrictive. In fact, on the um, uh, the U.S. State Department's report and other reports of of the most restrictive in terms of religious freedom, a number of Arab and or Islamic countries rank uh, at the top of the list. That's correct. Um, how has that impacted? I mean, I think of, you know, the Arab world during, you know, the Middle Ages was at the peak of Arab civilization and really surpassed Europe at that time. And there was considerable amount of, if not religious freedom, certainly toleration and Jews and Christians and Muslims uh, living together for the most part in peace. Um, but things have changed dramatically in recent decades. Yes, that. Well, and the, the economic growth in Muslims would be fueled in a uh, large part by the population, but it also be fueled by, um, you know, re redistributions of wealth as well. And you have nations like Indonesia, where you have not perfect by any means religious freedom, but you do have uh, much more pluralism, and there's a far less religious right than there is in, in the, uh, Arab, many of the Arab Muslim nations. And those nations where you do have that diversity, where you do have that freedom, they tend to prosper. Um, Indonesia is a prime example. Another example is, is India, which will soon have the seventh largest uh, Muslim population on Earth, and where there is, despite all the historical friction, there still is a, a broad degree of religious freedom in that country. Um, there's lots to be concerned about in India, lots to be concerned about in Indonesia, but when compared with some of the more repressive regimes, and especially something that's seen in, in uh, Syria and Iraq today, today with the uh, oppression of ISIS, you have a far greater economic engine in those nations where they have that type of experience, where they don't. And that's an important thing for us.
idea that uh, having religious oppression really stunts economic growth. And there are many people who probably need to hear that. Uh, there are those in the State Department who say that um, the radicalization we see in the Middle East is driven by lack of jobs. Well, religious freedom uh, and lack of religious freedom suppresses that economy. And so opening up those freedoms and having order to understand that and would advocate for and understand the connection uh, could be one of the solutions uh, to start reducing some of the radicalization in uh, the Middle East. You know, listeners to... Sure. Well, Brian, I suspect that those listening to this show come from a place of respect for religious freedom or they wouldn't be listening to a show about religious freedom. Um, But I'm not sure that we realize that the kind of secular uh, academic world, certainly within the legal community, in law schools and such, and in other communities as well, in um, diplomacy, increasingly regard religion at best as a harmless myth and at worst as rather violent and dangerous. And so there's been a lot of questioning about whether to protect religious freedom. And so I'm intrigued by this research that suggests that you can have a very secular sort of uh, materialist view of wanting to promote economic growth and come to support religious freedom on that basis alone. Absolutely. In fact, you know, it, is common, it should be common sense that when you protect fundamental human rights, you end up getting public goods up close. Now, that's something that uh, we uh, would love to see more of in this, this debate. But, you know, it is no surprise that in the United States that we have a very religiously diverse population. And back uh, when we were founded in the 1700s. Brian, I'm going to have to call it there. We're out of time. Our guest today, Brian Walsh, we've been talking about the impact of religious freedom on the global economy. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.